Hey, and welcome to Vibing with Vi, with your host, Violet Mitzi. Now let's vibe. What is something that you guys feel like maybe society or, or family has kind of projected on you and your views have changed over time? But just on that note, before we jump into that, of what you were saying is that the structure of, you know, the workforce um, is so much different, like yeah. not only in an economic game, but also in the prosperity of having the opportunity to grow and develop and to try these different positions. Like that's been an argument that I've heard a lot from older generations when it comes to communicating about, you know, different occupations or the workforce and just saying that like, the, there's a stigma of our generation of not being dedicated or being lazy because we job hop. But when, at least from my opinion, in reality, we recognize that there isn't that opportunity for us to grow. So that there isn't that opportunity to have this economic or financial gain, especially in a society to which that is uh, like vastly inflated. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's not a lot of companies that like, there's some companies that still promote within, but like, it's not like maybe it used to be one day where people were getting promotions and title changes and salary increases. Like, I feel like even the conversation of asking for an increase in your salary is so hush hush now where it's like, you don't ask, don't ask, don't tell. Whereas maybe back in our parents' time, it was the norm, like, okay, you work this many years in this, and then you move to that. And that's more like, I feel like the government sector is still much like that, but everywhere else is not. Like, there's people that are working in the same positions for like 30, 40 years with like barely any growth. And then those people never leave those positions because they're not growing that much. So then there's less opportunities for people that are younger. Oh yeah. People and they are do- comfortable with that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think like the, the state of capitalism that we're in plays a big role in that right now too, because you don't like, you don't, it's co- okay. So like to build on what you guys were saying, like it used to be that you could go to a grocery store, start as a bag boy, get promoted to cashier, get promoted to supervisor, get promoted to manager. And then one day take the store over when your old, you know, boss retired. And that doesn't happen anymore because to be in a managerial position now, you already have to, like, they're only hiring people from that. Like it's become exclusive. You don't work up anymore. Yeah. Plus everything now has become a degree. It requires a degree. Like office administration is a degree. Now management is a degree. Now Um, medical office administrator is its own degree now. And I'm not pulling apart any of those degrees. I don't mean it in that way, but you used to be able to go and just be an, an office administrator. And now if you want a well-paying job as an office administrator, you have to come in with your degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like people can just go and get that job anymore and then move up because now there's an entire socioeconomic barrier to even getting into what used to be an entry-level job. So it's, it's not even just a laziness thing. Like we've created, I like to think it wasn't we, but as a society, we've created all these extra barriers as well. So like where there's, I think there's that social part of, like you said, like knowing what we're worth and not being afraid to job hop, but there's also a certain part of like the availability to do that has actually been fully eliminated through this like overqualification that we have lately. And less people are retiring. So there's less people (laughs) moving out of those higher positions to give more opportunity for other people because 
unfortunately, you know, inflation is happening, a job caught or sorry, um, cost of living and everything is going up so significantly that, you know, where maybe it was common to retire when you're 65, there's people that are still working past 65. So if those people never retire from those high up positions, where is that opportunity for growth for other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's viewed so negatively that we're job hopping, but why am I going to stay with one company that after three, four years uh, is still giving me the same title and it has barely increased my pay over time, but is actually added on double, triple the amount of workload that when I started, because I also feel like that's very different too. And, and not even from a union perspective, but you know, before maybe it was like, this is your job. That's all you do. There's not a whole lot of anything outside of that. And if there is, then you're paid to compensate for that. Whereas I feel like nowadays it's like, this is your role, but you know, you also have to have the flexibility to add in all these other things that we need you to do because we don't want to pay extra people to do that. We want to pay one person less to do two jobs. And then if you don't, contribute and you don't help, then you're not a team player and you're not valued as much in a company. 100% time. Like I want you to dedicate more of your time to work or be available for work, which is a very, on Melissa's note of boundaries is a big struggle for me that I work on um, and maintaining those, those boundaries between um, feeling valuable and feeling like I'm putting in as a good work ethic at my job and also taking the appropriate amount of time for myself to be able to be healthy and to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that the influence of technology is huge on that too, because you used to leave. And I say, we used to leave. I, I obviously mean more like our parents' generation, but you would leave work. And unless your boss was calling your home phone, yeah. There was nothing. Whereas now, like they are expecting you like, oh, I just sent you this one email. Just take a quick look at it. Just send these documents back. Like we're in such an instant society and an instant um, state of mind with everything now that it's expected. Like just check that email. Like, oh, I know you're not in the office, but you can just check your emails. Um, on if you don't want to do it. Yeah. 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 Again, you're looked at as not a team player. Like it comes back because boundaries are they're pushed as a weakness because from a corporate, from a capitalist um, view, they are a weakness to the people who are benefiting from you giving up your time and your life. So do you guys feel like with the introduction of technology within our age, as we've all grown up, do you think that that, plays a role in the fact that like now it's become like a social norm to bring your laptop home and to have that expectation to now have your work phone. Do you think that that's solely affected by technology or also both because it's became a social norm? Like everybody, Alex, the amount of times that you and I have hung out since you started this new job and you both have your, your work phone and your personal phone always Mm -hmm. on you, even though you're on your off time. So do you think that that's a pressure from social, like the social norm, or do you think it's a mix of both or do you think it's just because of the technology and how we've grown? I find it a bit of a controversy, actually, because um, 
so like from my own experience, a lot of companies that I've worked for, they're very much um, have this, this conflict or these polar polarities um, of, I want you to be available and you need to be available for this, but also I'm, you know, I'm giving you this right to disconnect for work. Like you don't, you don't have to have it. It's one of those like unofficial messages, right? Like you don't have to, but you we know, expect you to successful if you are available. Um, I think for me, it's like, it's a hard boundary for me because I'm a people pleaser when it comes to work. And not that that's something I mm-hmm. to admit, um, but it's hard. It's hard, right? It's hard when you're like, I want to do well at my job. I want to be viewed as being successful. I want my team to respect me, to know that I'm there for them and that I'm supporting them. But I also want to be healthy and I don't want to be burnt out. And I don't want to be going away for the weekend and having to take a work phone with me, which on itself sounds so exciting. The first time you ever have a job, and someone says, oh, you get to have a work phone. You're like, oh my God, I'm so special. This is so fun. And then you're like, oh my God. <laughs> that's how I felt too. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. I have a work phone until like three months in. And I was like, I don't want this anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I but mean mo- like- Go Go ahead. ahead, Sorry. It's all good. You go. But Melissa, so with you in your position, with you transitioning to being your own boss, how do you feel that, you know, the expectation is for you to be constantly on social media, to be boasting about your business in order to get that traffic flow? And how do you kind of set that aside and separate yourself? And do you find that that is something that has became so prevalent in our time? Because again, technology and social media as well, that almost has become an expectation that if you're your own business owner, I feel like if you don't have a social media and you're not constantly on it, then it's viewed as you're not trying hard enough. How how do you kind of feel with that? Or what what are your thoughts on that? I'm definitely struggling with that. It's it's interesting because as a massage therapist, I was my own boss and I ran my own clinic and I did my own thing, but because it was an in-person service, I didn't have any social media. Like you massage somebody and you do a good job and they tell their friend who tells their friend. So I didn't have that pressure, but I did, however, have those boundaries to overcome because in the beginning, I love being a massage therapist and I love helping people and people are like, oh, I'm only available at 8 p.m. or I'm only available on weekends. Um, and so in the beginning, I very much found myself when I was like, I'm not going to work weekends. And then I was booking my weekends full and my evenings full. So I learned the boundaries pretty early on in the career. Cause I burnt myself out in like six months doing, you know, seven massages a day, six days a week. Yeah. So I had those boundaries in place, but like you said, switching into essentially an online marketing position now has been really challenging because I'm very well versed, versed in my boundaries but I'm not well-versed in, in marketing online. And so, like you said, I find myself having to, I'm officially a content creator. And so now I'm having to make this content and post this content because root views are great, but it's not like a massage where you give a good massage and they send their friend. You now have to show people like your expertise and who you are. And you also have to try and show your personality because nobody wants to, you have to gel with your clients as a human and not just as a coach. So like, Now I'm trying to make, you know, 90 second videos that show who I am, but also that I am excelling in what I do. 
but I also have to model boundaries because what the fuck kind of boundary coach would I be if I didn't practice what I preach, right? Like nobody wants a boundary coach who's available 24 seven. You think you do until you realize they're teaching you to be available 24 seven. That's true. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. You very much like one of the things that I personally pride myself on is that I very much model the things that I teach to people. I'm not just out here preaching all of this stuff to make people feel good. It's, it's, it's what I do, but it is making it very difficult because I'm like, okay, so when I'm out for dinner with my spouse, when I'm doing things with, you know, my partner, or when I'm taking time to relax for myself, my brain is like, okay, you should be posting this. You should be doing this because again, we have that link to productivity, that hustle culture vibe that was very, very prevalent for the last couple of years and still is to an extent, but I think we're seeing some more um, like self-care promotion come through, but uh, it's been interesting trying to shut that off. And I really do think, like you said, that being in a more technical and online space has been the challenge there. So it's not so much the expectations of needing to do it in a sense of feeling the pressure so much as it is the actual market that requires an entirely new sense of learning how to market myself. So it's been, it's been overwhelming, but I've managed to keep the boundaries. I'm just not quite at my full potential, I think, yet of actually getting myself through in an online world. I'm still definitely struggling with the personality side of things. We're going to connect after and talk about an app that lets you upload posts and you just pre-do it. You don't have to do anything and then you schedule it. And then later on, like the day, like say if you scheduled to have something posted tomorrow at 7 p.m., it'll send you a notification so that you post it. So you've already pre put in all the work, everything you upload your video, whatever you want it to be, your caption and everything like that. And then it's scheduled and you don't think about it. So you'll lot that time for yourself throughout the day of when you typically maybe want to work on your stuff, but still allow yourself that evening time to relax because you need that. And I think that uh, unfortunately, the social part of social media is that the way that people try to perceive it online versus what is actually happening in the background is two different things. Like the amount of people that I just assumed were online posting all day, every day, even if social media is their main revenues like stream, that's not the case. And I'm learning through building my podcast that there are these things that people put into place that it makes them look like they're constantly online, but they they aren't actually. And I found that really interesting because the way that I viewed it is in order to be a successful content creator, I need to be on and I need to posting all day, every day. Like I've heard things where it's like, at least post something once a day. So I always try to post a story and I've been sucking at doing it on my Instagram page for my podcast. But I've also kind of taken it back in the fact that I need to focus on making sure that I'm making, I'm making time for the other things that are important in my life. Not just this, because this isn't my okay. revenue stream at all right now, but it's, it's a very hard balance. And I feel like that kind of gears into there's that social pressure of like, if you want to be successful, you need to be doing things a certain way in order to be successful. But I think that success can come in any way that you put it. And you can be putting just as much effort into something as someone else, but without 
killing yourself doing it. And I'm learning that I'm using this app that I'm going to tell you about after that really has helped me to kind of balance my life between also using an online form of just like all my notes of things that like my to-do list, like it's an online to-do list. I heard Google calendar was good. I downloaded it. And then like, I just can't even look at it because of the format of it. It's just too messy. And I use something yeah. else. So I, I'll kind of give you a couple things that uh, help, but I just wanted to circle back because I didn't actually hear uh, from both of you things that maybe you grew up believing were to be true versus your thoughts on them now. Alex, if you want to go. All right. I want to comment real quick before we. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 no worries. So I'll get it. Um, just on what you were just saying about um, like this expectation of approaching things in a certain way to be successful. So when Melissa was uh, chatting about her endeavor, kind of branching into social media for her business, um, it made me think about my own experience. So I have my own psychotherapist. We all have each psychotherapist has their own practicing that. Like if you're not healthy and you don't working through your own things, you can't help anyone else. Right. Um, but I had this conversation with her where I said like, Uh, you guys know me. I'm not big on social media. It's not my jam. I prefer to be more silent. Um, But I was saying to her that like, it's a real concern for me that like going forward when I'm going to be wanting to build my own practice, that like, that's something that's going to be expected of me, something that I'm going to need. And she almost kind of put it, it was like this weird thought, I guess, or this belief that I had that I would have to be on social media to be successful. And in having the conversation with her, she was very much like, no, you don't. Like, I know a lot of people that actually aren't on social media and are very successful. And I think it kind of put into perspective for me that I was like, oh, well, that's funny. Like, that's funny that that was something that I believed so wholeheartedly that I was just naive about, I guess would be the word. But I also feel like with your type of business I don't know if that's so social media focused correct me if I'm wrong it's not but I think because because of like I don't know if it's the TikTok or the Instagram or whatever because of this big boom in social media a lot of people who have been in the same field have branched to an online forum and I think that was where the discrepancy was for me where I was kind of oh well as a necessity instead of a choice that they made for their yes Yes, exactly. And actually, that's the point I kind of wanted to say. Also, while I was talking, it's funny. You said you're at a point. I was like, me too. This is this is why our conversations are always so stacked. Um, I feel like there's, like you said, like there's this pressure to have to do it to be successful. And I would actually argue that by doing something that makes you uncomfortable or makes you unhappy, your that energy, that that vibe for the you know the woo woo term is going to come through, and you will actually come off worse in your business or in your, like you were saying by with your promoting, because you, people can tell when you don't want to be there, you know? So if you're constantly making posts every day and they're like, Hey, popping on to tell you this. And you look, you're tired. The energy is not there. You're repeating the same stuff. Maybe you don't have new things to say. Like people pick up on that. They can tell when you don't want to hang out with them. And so like, if you're stepping into that energy, just because, just because you feel like you have to, you're doing not only yourself a disservice, but the people that you're trying to serve. That was my piece. Right? I like that. People it's can so tell when you don't want to hang out with. That. It's true. It's like so I know it's true. an online space, but that it is. It's supposed to be like a hanging out vibe. And like yeah. if you don't want to be there, don't fucking be there. No, like, I love it. you so, in for them. 
That's so funny. <laughs> people know you don't want to be here. I know. I'm sorry. Are people sick of me reposting e-news stories? Okay. I like it. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> so. All right. Sorry. Ask the question again. This time I'll try to answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll repeat that question again. Alex and Melissa. Alex, you go first. So. Growing up, was there anything that kind of sticks out to you that you believed to be, you know, an absolute you had to do, like you didn't really have that option. And then growing up, you've learned that that's something that you don't need to do. What I had spoken about earlier was the fact that I felt like you had to stay in one job because I felt like that was instilled to me growing up. So do you have anything that you can kind of think of um, that maybe you were told uh, versus verbally or just by, you know, uh, what you've seen growing up that now you realize, oh, I get to actually make that choice. Um, I think, you know, this is exactly on the lines of what you're going for, but like one that comes to mind when you say that is just like valuing beauty in our society, like having to be beautiful <laughs> um, yep. and like the aspiration that, that we have and the value that it maintains. So like, um, you know, if you, if you fit this mold or this standardized idea of beauty, then it kind of like allocates this idea of success in some way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, actually, you know what? I, I definitely can agree with that. Uh, growing up, I felt that myself as well. Like, you know, we see all these magazines, maybe not so much anymore because we have social media, but growing up seeing like J14s and M magazines that have like these basically supermodels or like the uh, Jennifer Lopez, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears, and having these images thinking that this is the only standard of beauty, which was, let's say like a fucking size zero and you know, belly tops and low rise jeans, which apparently are coming back. No, should never Let me have my low rise. I like them. I'm the only person in the world. Yeah, I don't care. Muffin tops and all. I like my low rise. I have the world's tiniest torso. I look like Tweedledum in <laughs> higher pants and I hate it. So all of you leggy, long torso people can keep yours, but give me my fucking low rise pants so I can pretend I have a torso. I need no. them. No, thank you. But yeah, I agree, Alex. I, I felt like that too. And I mean, if I'm being completely frank, I still feel like there is that like beauty standard oh. of what an ideal beautiful woman and then that does equate to success. And if anything, I feel like it's more prevalent and more in my face because I opened my phone and it's more readily available to me. Whereas maybe before it was like, if I turn on the TV, then I would kind of see that standard. Or if I went out and I saw a magazine rack, then I would see that. Whereas it's right there in my hands. I can open it as many times as I want a day and basically make myself fucking feel like shit where growing up, maybe it wasn't like that. And, and I'm wondering before Melissa, you tell me yours, how you think, because of that being so readily available, how do you think that's going to affect the generations after us? Because think about being a 10 year old girl where like the girls that are 10 now, they're not going through this awkward, ugly phase like we all did, but can you imagine being a 10 year old girl and social media being like 
all over. Like that's what everybody does. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has an Instagram and a TikTok and whatever. And that's constantly in your face. I, I feel like if that was the fact when I was that age, that would really affect my body image and, and my mental health. And I almost feel like that would breed like eating disorders and, and different things where as I feel like we didn't have that as much. We did, but not maybe it's bad. Yeah, we did. I mean, I I thank God every day that we didn't have social media the same way we did when I was a kid. Because, like, I made some not-so-prime choices in my youth. And, like, thank God they're all lost on some pink digital camera somewhere that never got uploaded to the computer because nobody carried their – like, we didn't have phones. We didn't do that, right? Like I have some and, of those cute pictures of you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, but they're still they're dusty somewhere on a camera and like now I now we're old enough to respect each other to not put those places but like nowadays you go to a party as a kid and like let's not pretend that we all didn't have some drinks but maybe before we were old enough and all of that and like all of that stuff is immediately online like not just uploaded later but like people are live streaming these they're they're putting them on their snapchat stories they're putting them on their instagram stories immediately like every bad choice that they're making every ridiculous yeah. thing that they're doing and not just you and I and everyone else here, everybody in the history of everywhere made some pretty shit choices as teenagers. And I am so grateful that I'm not part of the generation that's having it all immortalized. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. like, it's bad enough looking back on, like you said, like my bad hair and makeup phase, at least it's only in some photos and it's not right there. But it's funny because you mentioned girls not going through that like awkward stage anymore. And I've noticed that because now they have tutorials and they have all these things that we didn't have. But also, can you imagine the pressure at the age when we were layering our big black pencil eyeliners on like raccoons? Can you imagine the pressure if we had those videos and we thought we should look that way? Like, I thought I looked cool. I thought I looked like the girl from Evanescence and that was the end of it, you know? Like, (laughs) whereas like, I'm I'm spilling the kind of kid I was here, but like, you know. and and that was the end of it whereas these kids are looking at these tutorials and then they're not matching what they're seeing and then they're not matching like you said like the girls on Instagram and like when we looked at a magazine we knew to some extent there was photoshop when we watched the tv we knew to some extent that 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 people didn't look that way but it's not like that anymore like Instagram with the filters and the things you can do at home these people think that they're looking at real people's faces like there's that it's that audio people can use on Instagram and TikTok where it's like, I put, I turned this filter on because I thought it was neat and like, what the fuck? This isn't my face. Like, it's so realistic that people are turning the, the filter on themselves and being like, oh my God, that's not what I look like, which means that girl looks nothing like that. Yep. But you thought they did up until that minute. Like, the, the introduction of this real-time filtering of people's appearances is... I think going to end up being like deeply psychologically scarring. And I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not here to be like, so we should do away with them. Like filters are fun and they are what they are. But I just, again, I can't imagine in a young age where you still don't have that kind of grasp on reality yet. And then where you the, haven't built your confidence yet because you're still yeah. finding yourself. And then that's, exactly. that's like affecting exactly what you're saying. That's affecting like a growing brain before they have the ability to be able to be like, this is real and this isn't. Yeah. And and this is who I am and I'm okay with that. And it's, you know, like they don't have any of that. And like, like you guys were saying, like beauty is attached to success, but beauty is also vastly attached to worth. And I think that's the biggest problems here is it's not just, oh, I'm not successful. It's, oh, I'm not worthy. And that is a massive 
detriment. If you learn that you're not worthy at 11 years old, because you don't have the cat eyes that you see in those photos, maybe you have round eyes, maybe you have, maybe you're Asian or black or um, indigenous, maybe like all of those, you know, when you put on a filter and it shrinks your nose or it shrinks your eyes or it makes them blue, which I've noticed all the filters do, um, you're immediately being told not just that you're not pretty, but that you're not valuable. And I think that is a massive, I think that's something that we should be worried about. Again, I'm not anti-filter. I just think that that in and of itself is a really scary thought that our children are being exposed to. It duplicates in every avenue, right? Like in our relationships and our um, ambitions in our job, our occupations, like it's, yeah, it really transcends across the board. Yep. I'm losing my brain in the fact that there's this commercial and I forget who it, it it's by. I don't think it's Dove. It's a beauty brand. Shit. It's going to bug me, but I'll have to look it up and then I'll link it in the episode bio for this. And I'll send it to you guys. Pardon? Is it the one about uh, decluttering your feed of the things that make you feel shitty? No, but who's that by? That's Dove. That's why I asked because you mentioned Dove. But anyways, go ahead. I didn't mean to maybe it is maybe it is Dove because there is this campaign that I actually remember seeing during the pandemic uh, where it's a girl and it's backwards from what she looked like on social media versus like how she got there and all these filters and different things that she put on herself and how like she felt so shitty and it was kind of like don't worry about what's going on in the world worry about what's going on with the girls or something like that I forget the way that they worded it but it was really really good and it's going to drive me nuts. And I don't know if you guys have seen that campaign, but they've done a couple different campaigns kind of addressing the fact that the way social media makes young girls feel and what the expectation of what they're supposed to look like and how it's viewed and how, you know, being this like beautiful young person is the only way that they can be successful on social media. It's going to drive me crazy, but I'll definitely find out what it is. And, and I'll send it to you guys and link it in the episode as well. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of controversy over the whole filter thing and social media, because the argument has been made by a lot of people. And I'm not sure the validity to it, um, that it's almost like a, a benefits or a confidence building um, versus a detriment so I think it very much is a is a toss-up for a lot of people but even so with our own um with our own upbringing like we didn't have the influx of social media that we have now and like I find for myself through my own like self-awareness journey that you know there there's moments that I remember as a kid where like you were way too young to have things like boobs and I remember like having fake boobs because I thought that it was something that I wanted and my family thought like oh that's so funny like it's so cute but if you think about it now you're like that's fucked up like yeah. <laughs> society portraying to me as a young child that my body is not good enough because it's not developed that I felt the need that I needed to do that like isn't that and yet somehow also telling women above the age of 25 that we should all look younger and like yep. prepubescent yes. or like mid-teens. Like as a, as a young girl, you're told you should look like a woman. And as a woman, you're told you should look like a girl. And it's like, there's just you, there's like three years of prime yeah. <laughs> female years. And like, time. 
You're yeah. <laughs> growing up. You've got like three good years and for some reason it's 14 years old. Like it's fucking weird. Right? Like it's I'm it's expecting insane. a little bit, but I agree with I agree wholeheartedly. Well, it's funny because you say the prime time, the prime years, that kind of also goes back on this like projection of like when you should have kids and like you only have this small window. Like if you don't have kids like when you're like 21, 22, 23, then you might as well just give up on life because you're over your dribbled up grapes that you should just be done with. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's not like my parents were telling me that growing up, but obviously there was enough influence in whether it was the media or something that made us believe that because I thought that for the longest time, like I was like, Oh my God, I need to have kids by 25. If I don't have kids by 25, then like, it's all downhill from there. Like, it's just, my life's going to be shit. Can't handle it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, Melissa, I need to hear about you. Was there anything that when, you know, growing up versus now that you feel like you believed and now you don't. It's funny. That's actually a super good segue because mine is kids. I always, I always thought I wanted kids. Everybody talked to me. I think especially as a woman, like I feel like maybe it doesn't happen as often to men. I'm not a man. I don't know. Maybe it does. But like, I feel like there's this like, well, when you have kids, when you're a mom, when you're like, it's such a common phrase. Like when you're a mom, when you grow up, when you have kids, when you do this, like it's so ingrained in you that you're just like, yeah, yeah. When I'm a mom, like, and, and it becomes this thing. And then you know, as I mentioned earlier, like the more I grew and established and built my life into a life that I like and I enjoy. And then I started thinking about, okay, cool. So like when I have kids, how will they fit into this? And I realized that they wouldn't. And then I had to have this like internal struggle with myself about like, so does that mean that I'm telling myself I can't have something I don't want? Or did I always just assume I would have kids because I was told that's what I would do? Um, and of course I came to the, I did come to the realization that like, no, I don't want kids. I just always thought of having them because I I thought it was the next step in the journey. And I think that there's this, this weird coming to terms, especially with not having kids, because like you almost have to, um, I don't want to say come out because I don't think it's fair to make that, that, um, comparison to being, you know, somebody who actually has to come out with maybe like their, 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 um, like sexual identity or their gender identity. Cause I don't mean it in that way, but like I did then have to sit down. I had to sit down with future partners. I had to sit, I literally had to sit my parents down and have yeah. like the talk and tell them that I'm not having kids. And, you know, and I had to, when I was together with my partner that I'm with now, before we got together, like we had to have this whole thing where I was like, so I'm just letting you know that like, I don't want kids. Like not don't think I want kids, not, you know, I'm not sure, like, I don't want kids. So if there's even a bit of inkling in you that might want kids, I need you to think about that now, because I'm not willing to be in a relationship that six years down the line, you realize I'm not changing my mind. And then I'm alone. Not yeah. that I, Again, there's nothing wrong with being alone. But like, don't be with me on the on the off chance that I'm going to change my mind. And that happens a lot. Because again, in society, you're always told, that women will change their mind that at some point this, this biological clock goes off that makes you just want children. And in fact, the older I get, the closer to where people talk about this biological clock, the more I actively don't want children. Um, And this also comes with the stigma because now when I tell people I don't want kids, they assume that I like kick babies. Like they just, there's this immediate, like, 
you must be a child hating monster. There's no in between. And, and like, again, because it's a society thing, like women are meant to be mothers. And if not, then there's something like inherently broken or lonely or wrong with them, or they must hate children. Or you jump right to like, well, they can't have children. And you're like, no, I'm probably perfectly capable. I mean, theoretically. Um, So that was my big thing. It's like, I didn't realize how ingrained in me it was that it was just told to me that I would have kids. And my partner who I'm with now, like we're very happily child-free, but he was the same way. It took him a while to sit down before we got together and actually piece apart his life and see if he wanted kids or if he was always just told he would have kids. Um, and he came to the same conclusion that I did, that he kind of always just assumed he'd have them because everybody told him he would. Um, so it, it's just interesting. Like for me, the biggest one is definitely, definitely kids and building a family as if I don't have a family, as if my partner's not my family, as if I don't have parents and nieces and aunts and uncles. I have and a family. dogs. Yeah. And that's the yeah. thing. Like, and I, yeah. I have my dogs. I have my cats. Like I have family. Like it's, it's, it's almost, I don't want to say offensive, but like, it's, it's so rude to be like, well, you don't want a family. And you're like, no, I have a family. I just don't want kids. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's how ingrained it is that you're like, oh, well then you're a familyless spinster without children. And you're like, no. Yeah. Like you're just like a miserable person. And how fucked up is it to think about the fact that like, if a random person or somebody that like you don't know or even like your family like let's say aunts uncles cousins that if people ask you like oh are you gonna have kids and you say no it ends up also being this huge conversation where it's like they're trying to pick apart like oh why don't you want kids oh don't worry like the amount of times I mean I have changed my mind for a while I was you know like oh I don't want kids I don't want kids and I have slowly started to change that thought process but when I was kind of like unsure about it when I would tell that specifically to other women they would be like oh don't worry that'll change you'll want kids and I'm like no but I don't think that I do and it's like that's not acceptable that's not an acceptable answer because that's not the norm and again this like social pressure of like no you're a woman you're made to procreate but it's not as much of like it's an option and yeah. it's like it's why why is my choice a discussion right now like it's, yeah. it's oh, 100%. Not. unless and you're my partner it's not and even if you are my partner like you still don't get to make that decision like I don't my even body, want to my choice well and that's the thing and like I don't even want to say like oh I would take your opinion into account because how shitty is it to have a kid because your partner wanted one yeah. Like it goes back to like, you know, when I said like, oh, people know that you don't want to hang out with them. Like it yeah. comes through. If you had a kid you don't want, they fucking know. Like, don't the do that. Knows. The kid That's knows. The kid knows when they feel it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Like don't have kids you don't want. Like it's just, especially if it's like, well, I didn't really want kids, but they did. Like if you're truly neutral and you're like, no, I will love them. It just wasn't like a top goal for me. But if you're like, I didn't want kids, but my partner did. So we had them. That's not a compromise. And your kid will eventually feel that you didn't want to be a parent. And that's super shitty. A hundred percent. Now I have to ask you guys, uh, this is one of my questions that I really wanted to ask is, do you think that social media has caused people to just kind of go along with something to gain approval of other people? 
and avoid disapproval because there's so much pressure around the fact that like, we just want people to like, like us. And that's like what social media is almost like cultivated. Like your worth is based upon that number of likes, the number of views, the number of comments. So do you think that maybe not so much our age group, but like people that are younger are just doing things to just gain the approval of like absolute strangers, not even their friends and their family. <laughs> yeah. Raise um, your hand. Melissa. <laughs> Cause I was going to speak out of turn and I can't, I, I had to fucking do it. Um, I, so I actually feel the opposite, which I think is going to maybe be an unpopular opinion, but um, I feel like hum- say it. <laughs> humans by nature have always wanted to just fit in. Like, there's yeah. a reason that in every movie trope, there's the popular kids and the weird kids and the blah, blah, blah. Like, especially at a younger age, we always desperately want to fit in. That's not new and social media and the internet didn't. I, act, I don't think they made it worse. I actually think they made it different because on the internet now, you can find whatever your opinion is or whatever your weird group is or whatever your weird thing is, you can find them now. That's and true. it's almost like enforcing like, you can find the other weird emo kids. You can find the other kids who are into bug collecting. You can find the other kids who are into those weird bands that you've never heard of. The, you know, you can find Mongolian throat singing enthusiasts to hang out with that you maybe wouldn't have found in high school, right? Like, you're, it's not just you and those two other weird band kids anymore. There's, there's groups, there's Reddit, there's communities for it. Um, but I think that that can be dangerous because that's also where we're seeing these... Um, these hate groups form and these, these um, like racist communities and these anti-gay communities and these anti-trans communities. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, I'm obviously getting very specific. It, it happens to any communities. You, you right. see people getting violent against like left-wing people being violent against right-wing people. Like it's coming from all sides because everybody can find a peer group now, even people who maybe have opinions that, were kept quiet for a reason because they knew it wouldn't have been safe to express them before they're finding these groups. Um, So I actually think it's the opposite. I think people are branching more out into their weirdness, which is great, but it's almost going the other way where it's giving safe spaces for things that maybe shouldn't have safe spaces, Um, which I know can be an unpopular opinion because of like, everybody should have the right to free speech, but at the same time, there's just certain things that shouldn't have ever become big groups and shouldn't have ever been allowed to, I shouldn't say allowed, can't allow people to do things or not do things, but there's more ability for it to spool into something dangerous. Whereas when you were a kid, if you were the one kid in school who maybe was um, anti-gay and it, it would have been unpopular for you to say that out loud because there was more people in the school who were accepting, at least in our age, I'm sure our parent generation was different, but like, yeah, you had to keep that to almost a minimum, but the the desire to fit in, I don't think that's a social media thing. I think that's always been a thing. Um, the Society thing, yeah, exactly, I- yeah. The pervasiveness of it might be a little worse now, but I don't think it was a social media. Thing. So, what no, about you, Alex? What do you think? Sorry, I just like I agree with Melissa. It's that I think it's more. It is a society thing, and social media has just been the vessel. It's been the voice. Um, it's been able to communicate information regardless of your opinion um, to a wider, wider net of people and, and more easily. Um, I think the notions, the core ideas remain the same, uh, like throughout society, the pressures of wanting to 
uh, be accepted or, or um, following specific societal norms or social norms. And I mean, we see this variation depending on culture and depending on your geographical location, right? So it's, yeah, I really think social media has just been the voice for it in both um, positive and perhaps not so positive avenues. So that's a perfect segue to my last question that I wanted to ask you both is we have talked more about the negative social influence. Is there anything that you can think of that social influence has done in a more positive way? I know, Melissa, you just kind of mentioned about uh, the ability to group together people that maybe weren't able to meet um, otherwise in maybe later days before technology. Is there anything else that you can think of? Or Alex, is there anything that you can think of? Um, I want to say this with a grain of salt, but sharing of information. Um, and, you know, as I hope everybody knows, you take everything you learn off the internet with a grain of salt um, in that it may not be entirely true. However, I find it to be a very positive thing because I hear something on the internet and I go, oh, that's interesting. And I automatically go, well, now I need to know if it's true. So then I'm looking into it and I'm researching it and I'm chatting with my friends about it and saying like, oh, I heard this, like, what do you think kind of thing? And it kind of like stems some of these fantastic conversations just around things that we don't, we haven't previously talked about. Like even our conversation today, it really just stems the conversation of like, our belief system and our value system and, and the perceptions that we hold and maintain and how they affect us and the people around us. So I just, I don't know. I like the conversation of it. <laughs> I love that. What about you, Melissa? I think in a similar vein, but almost branching off a different way is the access to like, I, I can look up how to fix my washing machine. I can look up how to like the way we were talking about tutorials for makeup and stuff. They apply to everything. Like you, there's so many things that you can do and try and learn from being online now, even more so than when we were kids, like YouTube and Facebook and all that stuff was still kind of in its infancy. And we used to use it to watch, you know, all those ridiculous original meme videos and stuff. But now you can watch anything that you want and you can learn to, crochet you can learn to build you can learn to like we have trades and skills and and all of these things at our fingertips now cooking uh recipes like all this stuff that you used to have to maybe go to the store and get a book for or get inherited from your grandma or whatever like you can look that up now and I think that's really really cool like just having having the ability to have a million different hobbies and a million different skills um, I think it's made us all more well-rounded. Sorry, is that your fingertips? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I it's more. the world of being more well-rounded in that way um, and more, I don't want to say self-sufficient, but like the ability to explore all these, all these different things and arts and crafts and, and skills. Um, and I mean, do we always use it for productive things? <laughs> Probably not. I certainly don't. But the fact that we can, I think is really, really cool. Well, I can say myself that I'm self-taught for podcasting. If it wasn't for Google, I wouldn't be able to do this right now because I've learned so much being able to, again, have that availability of all that information. Like I've learned how to edit audio and uh, I'm still trying to figure out editing videos. I'll get there, but converting, you know, a certain file into something else into an audio file so that I can upload it and doing all these different things that like, 
you know, a couple of years ago, like I wouldn't have ever imagined that I could do, but it's hundred percent. I crocheted a shirt. Like I was like, I'm going to crochet. And then I made a shirt. Like I couldn't have done that without the internet because I would have had to go and like, and I, I tried looking at books and like, I couldn't quite get it, but being able to watch a video and watch someone else do it. Like you can make something from nothing. Like you said, you had no podcasting skills and here you are like fucking killing the game. It's amazing what you can learn. (laughs) Well, I love that. Well, I just want to uh, close out this episode by saying thank you so much, both of you for coming on and being my first threesome. <laughs> I'm really happy. I'm glad we did it. Yes. And I'm so happy. And I also just want to let all the vibers know that this is the first appearance of Alex and Melissa, but uh, I'm going to have some separate episodes individually with both of you talking more about what interests you, Melissa, specifically all the life coaching that you're doing and some topics that Alex, you told me you wanted to cover. So this is just the beginning of our fun, but thank you so much, both of you for coming on. This has been a great episode. And I hope everybody gets an opportunity to enjoy our crazy dynamic and our conversations. <laughs> we took we took pretty good turns this time, I think. So I think so. we're getting better. <laughs> we're getting better. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, darling. And that's bye. tonight's show. Thanks, Fibers. Thanks, bye. Bye. Well, that concludes today's episode. Bye, Vibers. Whoa.